Welcome to The Experts Speak, a product of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thank you for listening. The placebo effect occurs when an inert substance is given, and yet there is a response. Walter Brown, who is a professor of psychiatry at Brown University, has been involved with this process for many, many years. He is now co-author of an article on how to use the placebo in a therapeutic manner. He has kindly agreed to talk to us about this. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for being with us. Glad to be here. What's the history? What's a placebo? What does the term actually mean? Well, the term comes from Latin, where it means, I shall please, and it's the first word of the Vespers for the Dead. And about the 12th century, these Vespers were called placebos, because that was the first word for them, just like we call the Hail Mary, the Hail Mary. People were paid to sing these Vespers at funerals. These Vespers were called placebos. After a while, the people who sang them started to be called placebos. And the term, these were paid mourners, and the term placebo took on a pejorative meaning. It suggested a flatterer, a sycophant, something false. And that meaning persisted into the 14th to 15th centuries. And then the word was taken up by medicine, probably in the 18th century, where a placebo was considered a treatment given more to please than to actually cure a patient. And then, as you suggested, the further definitions included the fact that a placebo was pharmacologically inert and had no inherent therapeutic value. So we now think of the placebo in the narrowest as a substance that has no inherent therapeutic value. But in fact, placebo really means something a lot more than that because anytime somebody gets a placebo, they're getting much more than an inert capsule, although inert capsule is the narrow definition. They're getting all of the features of any treatment or healing situation minus a specific therapy. So whether someone's getting a placebo in the context of a drug study or in a clinical context, they're getting much more than the inert substance. They're getting all of the so-called non-specific or incidental factors that go along with treatment. And these include going to a healing authority, getting a thorough evaluation, having access to all the symbols and signs of healing, the doctor's stethoscope, the white coat, all of the office procedures. And they usually get a diagnosis that takes to talk about their illness. And most importantly of all, going into any treatment situation elicits the hope that somebody's going to improve and the expectation that they will. And that is a very important part of what goes into the placebo response. There almost is a psychodynamic aspect to a placebo. I think that's, that's true. There's certainly a lot more going on when somebody gets a placebo than just the provision of an inert capsule. People hear about something known as a nocebo. What's that? The nocebo effect is simply having a negative response or having symptoms or side effects in the context of receiving an inert capsule. It's sort of a placebo effect is improvement with placebo. Nocebo effect is having some kind of problem or some kind of side effect with a placebo. Do placebos tend to work better with certain conditions? I mean, one would think that it would not work in an infection. It shouldn't even be similar to an antibiotic. 
Absolutely. The degree to which people improve with placebo is very closely tied to the condition that they have. You know, it used to be thought that there were certain kinds of personality types or people who tended to be more likely to respond to placebo than others, and that's just not the case. Lots of studies have shown identify people in advance with respect to their likelihood to improve with placebo, but certain conditions are far more likely to improve with placebo than others. And these conditions are those where some sort of distress, anxiety, discomfort has an important role in the presentation of the illness, either in the etiology of the illness or in the exacerbation. So, for example, pain is quite placebo responsive. Certain psychiatric conditions are far more likely to improve placebo than others. And again, these are ones where distress has an important role. So, for example, some forms of depression and anxiety in those illnesses, distress really is a fundamental part of the illness. And these are highly placebo responsive conditions, whereas in psychiatry, obsessive compulsive disorder is not likely to get better with placebo. Schizophrenia is not likely, nor is dementia. And so in, in mild to moderate depression, in various kinds of anxiety disorders, about half the people who get a placebo improve, or sometimes slightly less, sometimes slightly more, whereas with obsessive compulsive disorder, probably less than 20% improve. How does the researcher go about trying to look and delineate that response which is from the medication or from the placebo? It must be quite a challenge. Well, it is, and that's why it's so very important to use what's called the so-called placebo control. I mean, the FDA for years requires, still requires that to demonstrate that a new treatment is effective, it needs to be compared to placebo in most instances. Sometimes it can be compared to another drug, but generally, certainly in psychiatric trials, new drugs are compared to placebo. And I think it's important to keep in mind that when anybody gets any treatment, whether it's in psychiatry or medicine or in respect to the treatment, response to that treatment is an amalgam of the response to the specific pharmacologic agent and the response to all the nonspecific things that go along with treatment that I mentioned earlier or make up a treatment situation. So in order to know really whether improvement is from the, the drug itself, from the pharmacologic properties of the drug, you need to have a placebo control and you essentially subtract the response to placebo from the response to the drug and that gives you the pure drug effect. Is it ethical in normal daily practice for a doctor to give a placebo? What are the problems? Well, that's a great question. Until about 1975, 1980, it was considered ethical to give people a placebo and tell them that it was an active treatment, in other words, to lie to them. And this was done all the time. In fact, at the turn of the century, at the turn of the last century, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, the doctors were taught how to use placebos and under what circumstances to give them. And keep in mind that in those days, there weren't a lot of active drugs available, maybe digitalis and opioids, and that was about it. And so the doctors used placebos all the time, and they gave them certain kinds of Latinate names, and they made sure that they tasted bad so people would think it was medicine and so forth. And doctors were taught to give placebos under certain circumstances. 
That or, and, and the other thing, and I remember this from my medical school days, when people weren't using placebo so much as treatment, this is in the 60s, placebos were often used as a sort of test of the validity of a patient's complaint. So that if somebody was complaining a lot about pain, they would, as a, quote, test, end quote, get an injection of saline, a placebo, and if they got better, then the feeling would be, well, the pain was psychogenic or was it real or something like that. But the only person being fooled in that was the doctor because pain of an indisputably organic origin will also approve the placebo. This isn't done anymore. Nowadays, it is considered unethical to lie to patients. It wasn't at one time. And it's considered unethical to give people a placebo and tell them that it's an active drug. This has then led to a kind of dilemma because there are some conditions where, not many, but some, where it might make sense to give people a placebo as treatment. But the theory has been, well, if you give them a placebo and tell them that it's a placebo, they're going to lose, it's not going to work because they're going to lose the power of expectation, which is what the large of the placebo effect. But in fact, that's a misconception. There have been now a dozen studies which show that if you give people a placebo in certain conditions and tell them that it's a placebo, you can either use that term or explain to them that it contains no active medicine, people will still get better under certain circumstances. But I think it's important to keep in mind that the idea that synthetic drugs are somehow good for you is really an idea that is adhered to only by a small percentage of the population, doctors and a few other people. A lot of people far prefer treatments that tap into mystical issues, spirituality, and so on. And when you give people a placebo and tell them, well, it doesn't have any medicine, but it may affect your body's own healing process or self-healing, a lot of people actually buy into that. I agree with you. It's, it's also very interesting that in your article, there was an insert about using placebo to treat substance abuse. And this went into the notion of a conditioning model. Can you tell us what this is all about? There's so much talk about how to deal with the opioid crisis now. And I don't know that people have given thought to what this one little tiny insert may actually suggest. Well, the conditioning feature of placebo use is very interesting and totally unknown about it, underutilized. The fundamental issue here is that drug responses can be conditioned. By that I mean that when you give somebody a pill or an injection, this has been shown in both animal studies and human studies, the vehicle by which they get that medicine can become a conditioned stimulus for the response. So that if you give an animal an amphetamine and they have increased activity, after a while if you just inject them with the same, going through the same sort of procedure, but injected with saline, they'll have the same increase in locomotor activity. Probably the most powerful example of a conditioned drug response in humans is the nausea that people used to have. They don't have so often anymore with chemotherapy. Most people who've had the chemotherapy and got nauseous as a result start getting nauseous as soon as they walk into the facility where they're about to get the chemotherapy after they've had it once or twice. And so the facility itself becomes a conditioned stimulus for that response. And most drugs that we know of can be conditioned so that you can substitute a placebo pill 
that looks like the pill that contains the drug, and you'll get the same response. And this has been shown a number of times in studies in humans. Antihypertensives, substitute placebo for some of the antihypertensive, and still get a lowered blood pressure response. It's been shown in the treatment of insomnia and so forth, but this is not something that has been applied yet in clinical practice, and I think it, it's, it's time that people thought seriously about this. There's also closer to psychiatry, a very interesting study out of North Carolina, which showed that if you treat kids with ADHD with psychostimulants, you can substitute a placebo tablet, telling them that you're doing that for the psychostimulant and continue to get a good response. The question is, obviously, what is the placebo doing to the brain? Is it a purely psychological thing, or is there some undercurrent of a biological component to that? It's a fascinating area. People used to think that there was something kind of, for one of a better term, flaky about the placebo response. That it was sort of people were making it up, or when people seemed to be getting better when they got a placebo, it was because they were just saying they were better when they really weren't because that was the expected response. But since about 2000, it's been clear that when you give people placebos, they undergo some of the same changes in brain activity that they do when they get pharmacologic substance. So, for example, when you treat somebody with pain, who has pain, with a placebo, and then you do some brain imaging, they have some of the same brain changes that they get when they get an opioid. This also holds true for treating Parkinson's disease with a placebo and depression. Patients who are depressed and get in a placebo and have an antidepressant response to a placebo have some of the same brain changes as they do when they get a drug like Prozac. So it's not simply a kind of psychological response without an associated physiological one. There's something going on physiologically with people when people get these inert substances. If someone is given a placebo and they have a good response, do they last a long time or do they tend to diminish after a certain period of time? Yes, that's another great question. That okay, people get better at placebo, but as a transient thing, the symptoms will come back quickly. That's not the case. It's certainly not the case in depression. So my colleagues and I actually did a study in which we looked at antidepressant treatment studies where people had been treated with placebo and then followed for six months or more. And about 80% of those who improved with placebo sustained their improvement over six months to a year. The rate of sustained improvement was not as great as with antidepressant drug, where more like 90% stayed well, but it was very, very high. So it doesn't look like the placebo response goes away. This is a fascinating subject in psychiatry and all medicine. Dr. Walter Brown is a professor of psychiatry at Brown University in Rhode Island, and thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure, Abby.